0: Although burdened by the weight of great trial or tragedy, none of these can separate. forgiveness and has washed my sins away through this world's few passing days and through all My forgiveness And has washed My sins away All oh, the love Of my Redeemer Never Failing come What may He has purchased My forgiveness And has washed My sins away He has purchased my forgiveness, and has washed my sins away.
1: Pray with me, please. Father, again we come to you as we open your word and ask that you would, through your Holy Spirit, open our minds, our hearts to receive Lord, that your words would minister to us in such a way as to not only cause us to think, but to actually transform us, Lord. Think of the scriptures the, where we're instructed to offer ourselves as the living sacrifice that indeed we might be transformed. Cause that to be in each of every one of our hearts this morning, now, as we pray. Through your Holy Spirit, in your Son's name, amen. Would you sit, please, and uh, we'll... Uh, Open your Bibles to Romans chapter 12. And as you do that, just a quick reminder uh, the Christian School Jogathon is uh, coming up this Friday, and uh, the 10% of the proceeds that they uh, raised this year are going to go to help to offset uh, some of the uh, roses. Uh, Dennis Rose, who's been battling cancer, offset some of their costs that they've incurred. And uh, I thought it was really neat to see the, the kids respond to this, because this meant normally they get prizes and stuff like this to raise certain amounts of funds and stuff like that. That's the money that's going to Dennis. And I thought that was really cool. So uh, I have a sign-up sheet over here. Uh, I'm actually going to be doing laps, the laps around the soccer field over on Newburgh. Uh, So you can pledge a a solid one-time fee, or you can encourage me to do as many laps as possible. Uh, But if you are concerned about the fact that I might surprise you, you can put a max on that. Uh, But uh, uh, anyway. it's, uh, it's kind of it's the school's major fundraiser, but it's, it's really neat to see them. And, and Dennis and Jennifer and the kids have been a part of our school family for a long time. And so uh, it's exciting that we get to minister to them as well. Were you wanting to say something, Theodore? Huh? Five laps make a mile. Five laps make a mile. So if I do 20 laps, I've gone four miles. <laughs> All I know is that it's fun because I find myself. High school kids are so apathetic at times, even in the Christian groups, and and uh, here's this old man with two canes, you know, coming around the and I'll and I'll lap him, and finally and and I'll say, I'll turn around and I'll stop and say, Aren't you guys ashamed of yourselves? And they'll look at me like, Why? I said. An old man has had back surgeries and heart surgeries, and I'm ahead of you by one lap. <laughs> Every now and then, that, that will motivate someone. <laughs> Today, in the book of Romans, returning to chapter 12, verses 3 through 8, dealing with the gifts from God, uh, the, the spiritual gifts. Um, And we're going to get started on that this morning, uh, starting with verse 3, then chapter 12, Romans. For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. For as in one body, we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function. the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. Over the last uh, several weeks, as we entered into this chapter and then some uh, uh, corresponding messages that went with this, the whole idea of the body of Christ is is tied together in this picture. The body is made up of many parts. Working in harmony, if you will, together. Uh, The head is Christ, period. The head is Christ. He is the head of the body. There is no other authority in that sense. Now, he has put in place certain responsibilities down the the chain, like the elders and leaders in the church and and deacons and various things that are are jobs and and responsibilities, but he is always the head. His word is always the head. The rule. He empowers the church through the Holy Spirit. Each of us, when we become Christians, when we confess Christ, I think of the way Paul puts it, we confess with our mouth, uh, you know, uh, we believe in our heart, and, and uh, we be, we're saved. At that very point, the Holy Spirit indwells us. He is what drives us into the sense of the body and unity within the body. He's the one that empowers the church. And it's all to be done, and I I emphasize this, with an active love. A sacrificial love. The unconditional love that God offers us, it's to be seen within the body of Christ as we interact with each other. It's to be seen in our homes of husbands and wives and children as we interact with each other. And this idea of the love Paul emphasizes over and over and over again, we spent much time talking about that. Putting the other ahead of the self, both in our relationships with our spouses, but also in the the sense of our relationship with each other in the framework of the church, uh, seeking to build each other up, looking for opportunities to minister to one another. Each person, each one, comes into the body of Christ. Each believer is drawn into the body to actively participate. This is really important. It's something that uh, I think that We in our culture tend to lose a little uh, because we tend to let church be where we go rather than who we are, and as a result, uh, it's it's fairly easy to get into a, a habit of going to church, participating in Bible studies, this type of thing, but not actively being a participant in the sense of serving and coming alongside each other and ministering one to another. The goal within the framework of the body of Christ, and we talked extensively about this, is to uh, glorify God. And again, to, to minister to each other. To glorify God both as the body of Christ and to come alongside so that each of us individually come to that point where we are glorifying God in our lives. The ultimate goal we would look at from a congregation as well as individuals would be out of Colossians 3.17 where we're doing everything, whether it's in word. And by that way, that word kind of includes the idea of thoughts. (laughs) And you see that in Jesus' teaching on the Sermon on the Mount. It's not just what you do, but how you think. So uh, doing everything in words or deeds, do it into the name of the Lord, giving thanks to God the Father. Now, to accomplish all that this is the that the, the God wants to do in his church, God has a plan. He has a way to accomplish this. And it takes us to what we've just read in Romans chapter 12. If you're looking at verses 4 specifically through verse, uh, the first half of verse 6, what do we see? There's Many members. God has drawn us together, many of us, to be one body, one group of people, on a congregational level, as a microcosm of what he has done universally, globally, if you will, through his church at large. We are as much a part of the family of God and and we well we're talking about the uh doing some uh work with uh uh the martyrs group and we're we're just as much a part of them their body as they are a part of our body okay and so the whole body of Christ, but within the, within the framework of the local body, a microcosm, God brings us together. He brings us together with our, our, our talents, our gifts, our skills, our abilities to minister to one another in such a way as that we draw each other into that encouraging position to glorify God and to also be a reflection of Christ in the community to draw others to him. So we're each drawn into this body. Many members, one body. Uh, I've heard, and I know you've heard this before, but I love the phrase church is not an organization, it's an organism. It's something that is living, alive. We speak of the Word being living and alive, and the body of Christ, the church, is something that is, is an organism. It's living in its life, it has a heartbeat, so to speak. We're members of one another, Paul says. That's an intimacy of of knowing each other, caring about each other. We've been told at one point, when, when one rejoices, we what? Rejoice together. When one weeps, we what? We weep together. We are part of one another, members of one another. He makes very clear in these scriptures that we have gifts, that differ. We'll look more into that later. And then he concludes, let us use them. Let's use them. Some other scriptures that give help in understanding this idea of the gifts that God gives the church. The Holy Spirit gives to us, empowers us with the, the spiritual gifts, is typically their, their title. 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 10 says, As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another. Peter makes it clear, and I think it's made clear here in Romans as well, but in, in, and as well as in, in the 1 Corinthians letter, everyone that comes to Christ who has the indwelling of the Holy Spirit has a gift that the Spirit has received brought to you, put in you, if you will, to be a part of the body of Christ in serving one another. There isn't an exception to this. We each have a gift. We're to use it serving one another. In 1 Corinthians Chapter 12, Paul starts right off. Now concerning spiritual gifts, brothers, I do not want you to be uninformed. In other words, he wants us to be informed about the things, to understand about spiritual gifts, how to use them, how they should be used within the framework of the body to encourage one another to build up the body. Verse 4 of chapter 12, he says, Now there are a variety of gifts, but the same Spirit. So we're not each going to have necessarily the same gifts. That doesn't mean that there can't be someone with the same gifts. What it means is that there is a lot of different gifts that the Holy Spirit brings within, to the, within the congregation, within the framework of the body. And he does that because there are all sorts of different ministries and needs that, that have to be done. He's building up the body to do that. So a variety of gifts. In verse 5, he says there's a variety of service. In verse 6, he says there's a variety of activities. But in every case, it's the same spirit, Lord, and God that brings it together. And then verse 7 says, To each is given the manifestation of the spirit for the common good. Again, that idea of giving the gift of the Spirit for the common good. Ephesians uh, chapter 4, familiar verses uh, starting with verse 11. Uh, Paul has been speaking in chapter 4 of Ephesians about unity within the body of Christ, within the the framework of, of the church, and he tells them, that there are gifts that God has brought to the church for the purposes of building this unity. And he says in verse 11, he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood. To the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro. And we've talked about that, the idea of we come into Christ as, as babes, as uh, infants, those various words that Paul uses, to grow into mature Christians, from milk to meat kind of picture. And so we start about, you know, when you first come a, a Christian, it's kind of like, uh, at least from my experience, was I, I had a barrage of things that uh, I was anticipating were going to be uh, involved because of the things I had learned prior to actually going to a church, and I didn't know which. You know, I just had this concert of things. I just figured it all filled together. I had no idea there was controversies about anything, different opinions about things, or or any of that. And and when I got there, it was kind of like, whoa, uh, you know, how do you look at this? How do you understand this? How do you? And the, the questions just were endless. And. I noticed even that sometimes churches can be tossed about by every wind of doctrine, every program, every kind of thing. And I'd seen a little bit of that and was a little bit confused at times as to, well, how does that tie in with what we were doing before over here? And, and, you know, this type of thing. So Paul says, no, I've given you leadership and these gifts and teachers and all of the, the, the picture to bring, to build up, to bring us all together into maturity. But the key to what he wants to accomplish. Is is that we will all be serving God. That we'll be all be doing the works of the ministry. So each believer is drawn into the body of Christ, into the church, each is given a gift or gifts, and these gifts are to be used in glorifying God, serving one another, building up the body. I think that I, I, I think the scripture makes a real clear case for all of that. Now, this morning I thought I would just take a slightly closer look at what a spiritual gift is. And because of the way I think, I guess, uh, the first thing that jumps into my mind is what it is not. Um, Because I have heard interesting things over the years in reference to uh, how people have looked at at some gifts And, and what they've considered their gifts and not their gifts. For instance, the fruit of the Spirit. Now, what is the fruit of the Spirit? You know how I teach it is, is the fruit of the Spirit is love manifested in eight ways. I know that there's other people say, well, there's nine fruits of the Spirit. It really is a moot point. It's more cinematics than anything else. The bottom line is, is that love manifested in joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And I'll have somebody say, well, self-control isn't my gift. Why were you laughing at me? (laughs) Uh, Self-control isn't my gift. Or, or, you know, I don't have the gift of patience and I don't want to ask for it. (laughs) You know, these types of things. The fruit of the Spirit has nothing to do with the gifts of the Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit are the results of the indwelling of the Holy Spirit in the believer, transforming who we are. And every one of those are to be something that is God is working on in us. The fruit of the Spirit is, is in direct contrast, Paul puts it in direct contrast, to the, uh, if you will, the, 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 the works of the flesh. Uh, when you look in Galatians chapter 5, Uh, In verse 19, he says, the works of the flesh are evident, sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and and things like these. I warn you, as I've warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God, but the fruit of the spirit is love. He's saying there's a contrast here. And earlier, Paul says, this is who you were when you lived in my wrath, God speaking, when you lived in the wrath of God. But now that you live in God's grace, this is who you are. You've put off this, and you're putting on this. This is not dealing with the gifts. This is dealing with every one of us developing the character of Christ. And so we're not all at the same point on any one of these and some person might be well advanced in one area of the fruit of the spirit and, and, and very slow in another. That doesn't give us any room to judge or any of those kinds of things. It's just the reality that we're all working towards the same end. And that's what Paul wants from us, working together. So I would suggest to you that the, fruit of the, the gifts of the spirit are to come together to build up the body. Well, here's a part of building up the body to help us all, to encourage us all to get into this level of thinking and move in that direction. Paul called it really simply working out our salvation, a sermon of a few weeks ago. By the way, not earning our salvation, working out our salvation. So each, (laughs) I put it this way, just real simple, each part of the fruit is for all of us. It's not, you get this piece, you get this piece, and that, you know, it's for all of us. And Paul, like I said, clearly speaks that this is a battle zone for us. Uh, You can go back just a little bit in Galatians 5, verse 17. He says, the desires of the flesh are against the spirit. And the desires of the spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. And I believe that that's where Paul would tie it into Romans 7 as well, where there's a battle going on in us of wanting to do what is right, but it's to be moving towards Christ-likeness. And we do that in a concert together as a body of Christ. Now, there's another area, and that's talents. Natural abilities. Now I want to emphasize, and, and, and I'm going to pick on, on, on you because I, I love your piano playing, and, and so I, I didn't even tell you I was going to do this, but I'm putting you on the spot. You would consider the talent you have a gift? Absolutely, huh? Okay, Talents are a gift from God. Now, don't misunderstand this. But they're not the spiritual supernatural gifts that Paul is talking about in other places. Talents are those things that we can actually work on, that we can uh, develop by training. Uh, We may have a natural aptitude. I I met a gentleman uh, yesterday, uh, having lunch, uh, sitting across from him. And uh, he's an artist, a local artist. His name is Don Miller. and. We were—he was getting to talking. He wanted to know what my passion was,
2: <laughs>
1: and uh, you know, I love—I love open doors. Um, but and then he realized I was there for doing the invocation. <laughs> so oh, he's one of those. Um, but we had really a neat visit, and he was in industrial sales. He was in uh, a number of other kinds of marketing. Similar things that I had done in my life. And, and so we had the, the, that points in common that gave us the opportunity to share. And he says, yeah. He, says, I, he said, but I've always had the passion to paint birds. Now, I've never heard, I'll be honest with you, anybody tell me that they had the passion to paint birds. But he started in 19, late 1980s, teaching himself how to paint. And he said, if you saw his first paintings, you would say that they were not birds. You're not sure what they were. He is now an artist that travels all over the United States and sells his artwork, literally is all over the world now. And I only got to see a couple of pictures of stuff, but I was really amazed. And he said he quit everything else to do this, to follow his passion. But it's a talent. I said, you know, it, 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 you, don't even have, you don't have to be a believer to have a talent. There's some amazingly talented people in music, in art, in, in all sorts of areas. Uh, and, and I'll suggest to you that it is a talent and to, to be a, a salesperson in industrial sales. There's a gift involved there, if you will, a talent. And all of, you don't have to be a believer. All of us can pursue talents. And, and environment, training, education can all enhance those things. Many of the, the talents will parallel spiritual gifts. But the actual gifts uh, are unique in the sense that they are empowered and brought About by the Holy Spirit. So I already said this, but I just restate it. When one becomes a believer in Christ, Holy Spirit indwells us. We are to surrender all that we have. We have sung that. We are to surrender all that we have. Offer it to God to direct as he wills. So we are offering our talents we are offering our, our resources and, and we're bringing them to God to, to, to use. But spiritual gifts, all I'm going to it's one of those things that, that trying to define, you realize that you, you start to lack the words. They're unique, diverse gifts for serving God and the body of Christ, given by the Holy Spirit to the believer. One pastor, uh, Ray Pritchard, put it this way. A spiritual gift is a God-given ability which enables a believer to effectively serve the body of Christ, bringing glory to God. And he emphasized, not a natural talent, although sometimes they go together. A believer may not be gifted in his areas of talent. Now, catch this. A, a believer may not be gifted in the areas of his talents. In other words, his spiritual gift may not move in the area of his talents. You know, that's one of the things that in the church we've made some serious errors in over the years, and especially uh, those of you who are, uh, follow the music industry in Christian music, where you, you have somebody who gets uh, saved out of the, 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 the Christian or the non-Christian, the world rock scene of the you know country western, doesn't matter where it is, and they're all of a sudden... Uh, They're they're brought into the church and they said, oh, use your gifts and talents now for the Lord. And they immediately put them into service uh, to to sing and and write the songs of the gospel and, and this type of thing. And there is quite some beautiful stuff done at that point. There are some amazing streams of music that have come out of that. But there's also a tremendous amount of people who... As fast as they came in, disappeared in their walk with the Lord. I have seen churches take businessmen as their administrators because they're such talented administrators in the world and destroy congregations. Because this doesn't run like any business of the world, folks. There's a lot of people who like to try it and they have keep bringing things into it, but I don't believe that that's the way God wants to do it. And so I just suggest to you, we're not talking about talents. We're not talking about the fruit of the Spirit. What we're talking about are things that God, through his Holy Spirit, puts in us for the purposes of serving him. And it's clear that every believer has at least one gift. So the question is, what are they, the gifts? And the, the obvious next question would be, and what is mine? Or what is yours? We'll be getting to that. Not this morning. It is really clear from the Corinthian letter, especially chapters 12, 13, and 14, but other spots in it as well, 1 Corinthians. It's really clear that it is very easy to get caught up in self-importance over, quite candidly, one's talents, but also one's spiritual gifts. In fact, in some ways, people identify themselves by their spiritual gifts. Oh, I have the gift of. And they identify themselves that way. I know one, at least one person standing on the stage right now that's done that. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I really had never sat down and really thought about how I see myself, and identify myself in the context of a Christian. And I'm going to be honest with you, I don't know that I would have even with this coming, uh, coming into this sermon if it hadn't have been for a grief share last week. We had a very interesting section in our discussion and on the video teaching about how we identify ourselves in a a way that becomes intertwined with our loss. Now, I know for a lot of people in this room today, there's points where you have experienced a loss and automatically something happens. There was before and after. It's not what I'm talking about. What I'm talking about is how you identify yourself. You become this person, oh, I am the one who lost. And you identify and just constantly living in that identity of that loss. Or the way people perceive your loss and ID your loss, you you, you identify with that. Oh, I'm the the one who lost so and so to suicide. And what they were trying to get through was is that this is, you've got to get out of that intertwined position. And I began to think how true that is, and in varying degrees. Some people are really caught up in never getting past their loss, and other people, it's always in the back of their head, but it's still that part of them that, that they ID themselves in that particular way. And so I just simply (laughs) followed the trail and went down the hole, Uh, fouling another rabbit here. How do I identify myself? And how do I see others identifying me? I mean, I'm a husband. I'm a father. I'm a Christian. I'm an elder in the church. I'm part of the body of Christ. And I'm realizing from each perspective there's a set of expectations and responsibilities. I normally put this as to the various hats you wear. My father, my dad hat, my church uh, elder hat, you know, and, and type of. But they're all interrelated, you know, obviously. And and I'm saying, how do, you know, uh I started realizing how I perceive the congregation, how the congregation, I think, perceives me, whose expectations am I to meet, and what are the list of my responsibilities, and who comes up with it. All these kinds of things started just kind of rushing through my head uh, as, as I was looking at this. And uh, it just hit me. And part of it was because of grief share, and what they, they suggested as well. Wait. <laughs> Sit back. think about this for a minute. You're starting in the wrong place. It's not, it's not wrong that there's expectations, responsibilities, all that. It's first and foremost, what are God's expectations of me? I'm a Christian. I'm a child of God. And I'm part of a family of believers. And I realized, just as clear as I've preached it so many times, God's expectations of me is that I must be holy. But I'm still resting pretty. Pretty, not securely because of, de- of, of desire or anything, but just consistently in Galatians 5:17, battling with the flesh and the spirit, as are all of us. And I wrestled with this for a few minutes. I just tried to put this, uh, my my thoughts around this, and then I realized, I don't want to miss. You know, listen carefully. I have met those expectations. If not, then Romans 8.1 is not true for me. What does Romans 8.1 say? There is no condemnation for those who what? I am a Christian. I am a child of God. I am part of a family of believers. God's expectation of me is that I must be holy to be in relationship with him. These expectations have been met. And when I say I have met them, I have met them, but not in myself. I have met them through Christ. He has met them for me. And so I wrote down something that's probably obvious to all of you, but it it just seemed like it came together for me. I have met these expectations through Christ alone, in his grace alone, by faith alone, confirmed by his word alone, to the glory of God alone. If you're not familiar with those phrases, they're called the five solas. Is a simple, you know, handle on them coming out of the Reformation. Now I'm in the process of working out these realities, even now and until I'm face to face. I'm working out what are my responsibilities. Then, God says I need to grow in Christ. I need to offer myself as a living sacrifice. I need to to make myself available to be used in the body of Christ. And I need to seek his face to understand and know what my gift is so that I can participate in the body of Christ. And even the growth in all of this still must be done through God, his gifts, and his empowerment. He is the source alone for the empowerment to even do these things. And so I guess I put it this way for the for trying to bring it to a summation just for this morning. All this is to say that my idea is first and foremost, my identification is first and foremost, I'm, I'm a child of God, saved by grace through faith. And it's accomplished at the cross. I must start here in Israel everything I do my gift does not identify me my circumstances do not identify me my past life do not identify me because if they did I would be going to hell I am I just come, it's just gotten to me in this sense I'm a child of God I am saved by his grace everything begins there always and it takes us, every time we come to that point, and it should be, I think, at this point, you know, I should have been thinking about this a lot more seriously in, in different ways, but they just come when they come, and as you grow, the reality that, that the, the, the Calvary is the source, the cross, what Christ did there, his words, it is finished, have put me in this position where I can claim what you read out of Romans this morning. There isn't anything that's going to separate me from the love of God. Ask the ushers to come forward. We'll pass the communion out. uh, Hold the cup and the bread until we've all been served, and we'll share together. I'm Such a simple song with such a powerful meaning. He's the lifter of our head. Once we rest in him to draw close to him, we can do nothing short of him lifting our head. Him giving us the strength. All of that comes through the cross. He emptied himself, became a man in the flesh. That's what the bread represents. And a lot of times we say broken for us. But you, you realize, uh, and, and maybe you hadn't heard this for a long time, but uh, Psalms makes it clear that there's a, a prophetic picture of Christ. Not one of his bones would be broken. And yet we use the same, he uses the phrase broken for you. And the idea of broken isn't having to do with broken bones, but having to do with broken bones as, a, as a, a man he wept for us he cried for us he, 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 he fasted for us he, I mean, you know, and so he was torn for us and so he offers the bread as the picture at that last supper after giving thanks and breaking it and giving to the disciples offered us the bread as the picture of his body broken for us. And he asked us as often as we would share in this bread that we'd do it in remembrance of him. But coming in the flesh in and of itself would not accomplish the purpose. taking the cup at the end of that meal, he let them know what would. He said, this is my blood poured out for you to purchase the covenant, the covenant that allows us to be here today. And he asked us as often as we would share this cup to do it in remembrance of him until he comes again. Father, Father, we thank you for the grace that you have poured out on us. We realize, Lord, in every single way. It is through you that our salvation is accomplished. You loved us first. You've loved us before the foundation of the world. It's an amazing thing to think about. To know with confidence Lord we are children of God we are part of the family of Christ the body of Christ the bride of Christ we have eternity to share in we just come and humbly say thank you and worship you we ask that you would go with us to meditate on these things that uh, you've put in our hearts as to how we might serve you more and serve each other better. Growing in love first and the fruit of the Spirit so that as you use the gifts through us, they have power and meaning that come from you. We worship you again. Thank you for the grace in Jesus' name.